welcome back to The Cake with Joe and Jane. It's called The Cake because there is a cake for everyone. Whether that's walnut, chocolate, fruit or red velvet, cake is definitely something that unites us here at Salisbury District Hospital. Thanks so much for joining us again. We have a great episode coming up for you all about disability. But before we get into it, we should probably introduce ourselves again. So I'm Jane. I'm one of the Divisional Heads of Nursing here at the hospital. My name's Joe. I'm the Recruitment Team Leader here at the Trust. And we're really lucky to have joining us today for this episode, Head of People Operations, Sarah Crane, and Senior Project Manager, Natasha Dumay. But as we know, people are far more than just their job title. So, Sarah, what is one mm-hmm. thing that people might not know about you? Well, that's a good question. I am Manx, which means I'm from the Isle of Man. Ah. Oh, See, when you say Manx, I thought Manchester. Me too. No. Me too. No. M-A-N-X. Ah, okay, okay. So I can say more am I. Yes. Fast am I. That's Manx. So you're quite fluent in it? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) And Natasha, what about you? What's something that we don't know about you? Uh, I play the African drum, which is a djembe drum. Do you? Wow. Are you in a a group? Yeah, in a drumming group, yeah. So it's really quite impactful to feel the vibration of the drums when you're all drumming together, yeah. Great. Sarah's head of people operations. We're going to get you in. We're going to show it off in the lecture theatre. I can't wait. It's going to be wonderful. (laughs) So we're talking today about disability, okay, and the term disability. How do you feel about the term disability, Sarah? So I don't regard myself as having a disability. Mm-hmm. I regard myself as having a condition, yeah. I guess you could say. Yes. Um, so I regard myself as having um, a growth condition. Yeah. But I think, you know, for me, I see the term disability in a positive light. You know, yeah. I just see it as an attribute of a person. Yeah. You know, it's something about that person that affects their life or might, in some circumstances, might not affect their daily living. But it's something, you know, it's part of them, I guess I see it. As. Yeah. And what is your condition called? My condition is called hypochondroplasia. And for listeners at home, can you just expand on what that is? Yeah. So hypochondroplasia is a form of dwarfism. Okay which basically means that my bones grow slowly, mm-hmm. which means my bones are shorter and my muscles my muscles grow at the normal rate, so my muscles grow outwards. So there are certain characteristics um, okay. people with dwarfism have, so like a larger head, yep. a larger frame, like quite, um, and I know this is a podcast that so people can't see, but um, <laughs> quite um, kind of wide legs um, and also bowed legs. Like if you do look at my leg, it bows, oh, yeah, okay. so oh. it's not straight. Yeah. You probably haven't noticed that no, before I've when not. you've been no, I've noticed it. Exactly. No. So it's all, for me, my condition is all about the physical. And Natasha, what about you? God. <laughs> so I've got fibromyalgia, uh, which is a chronic pain and fatigue condition. So now t- everyone's talking about long COVID and my symptoms are almost identical yeah. to people who've got long COVID. So, so I de- but that's all the time and that's, there's no cure for it. So for now I'm on medication for that and then I've got arthritis I've had spinal operation and one knee replacement already and another one on the list so I I just see myself turning into a bionic woman I quite like that so yeah (laughs) and then I've got uh, hypothyroidism it's an underactive thyroid which all it all helps making sure that I've got no energy basically okay (laughs) so so would you say your disability condition whatever you prefer to refer to it as is more hidden and people yeah. can't see it as visually as yeah. Sarah's I mean apart from a limp you can't see and, and half the time people can't tell I mean I remember at the point I was diagnosed because I I just couldn't function at work anymore and I could have happily just gone to lie on my desk and yeah. gone to sleep yeah. I was just so tired so my occupational health nurse sent me home 
So I, I asked if I could see the pain consultant because one of my friends works with him. But my GP said before I could see him, I'd have to go and see the, the musculoskeletal specialist who came to the practice once a month. So I, I saw him. He did all sorts of things that to turn every way and all hurt. And then he said, I know what you've got. We see people, people who have your condition. It's called fibromyalgia. But there's no cure for it. And as you came into my treatment room smiling, you can't be in that much pain. And so I'm not going to refer you to the, treat, to oh, the pain wow. consultant. So I just went home and just cried because oh, I gosh. naturally smile. And it doesn't mean that I'm not in pain. It just means that I don't want to be defined by that. Yep. Yeah. And then I started, I did a pain management course to learn to, to, learn to live with the pain. So I'm, I've always been very determined and strong, even before I was diagnosed. I'm not going to let it get to me. I want to have my career. I want to... You know, I don't want to be limited by it. So I don't see it now as a disability. It's definitely a condition. It limits me in what I can and can't do. But I think it forces people to think outside the box. Yeah. Would you call yourself disabled then? I have to call myself disabled because in order to get help, yeah. you know, I'm covered by the Equality Act. So in order to get help, you know, whether it's when I attend a job interview or when I need reasonable adjustments for work or when I need support outside work, I have to use that term. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's linked to legislation, yeah. I think. But other than that, I, I refer to it as a condition, really. Is that the same for you, Sarah? I will declare it when I have to on an occupational health ref- sure. on an he- occupational yeah. health form. Um, you know, I will say, yes, I've got this condition, but I don't, like, I won't tick. When they say to you on NHS jobs, you know, do you consider yourself to have a disability? I always put no. Yeah. Because... Yes, my condition does affect, you know, my um, daily living. I'm, I'm four foot eight, so there are certain things I can't do. But I don't think it limits me in, in you know, the way that I need like an adjustment or something like that in, sure. in the workplace. I might need a footstool, but I don't need, you know, it's not that kind of way, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So, like that covers off sort of like work, how you how you are at work. Mm. What about growing up as a child? How was that with your condition? Um, you know, obviously school is you know immensely painful for many people how was that for you um school was not the best of places to be honest so when I was like in my parents in my parents womb that's wrong when I was in (laughs) people always say we are pregnant my mother's womb you know my parents didn't know that I had this condition it was only after birth that I was diagnosed with it and I think you know my parents treated me normally you know tried to make life as normal as possible for me Um, I had to see specialists when I grew up. I because um, I grew up on the Isle of Man. I went to London sometimes to see um, like a professor because back in back in you know thirty odd years ago, growth conditions weren't as kind of um, well known about yeah. as they yeah, are today. Yeah. Really, you know, there wasn't as much kind of publicity about them and that kind of stuff. So I think you know I lived um, also on an island, which meant I was the only person in my school, one yeah. of the only people on the entire island who looked the way I did. Yeah. I was bullied because of my height, definitely, you know, and I'd be called titch or that kind of sort of stuff. And just, yeah, you kind of like there were times when I'd hate walking down certain corridors at school because I knew like if the lunch queue was stood there, there'd be no teachers around. And I was like, I'm just open to the elements here. You're fair game. Yeah, yeah, I'm fair game. I just wouldn't want to walk down that corridor. I'd be like, nah. Has that changed now you're into your adult life and into the workplace? So I had it on Saturday even. I was in, um, I think I was in a supermarket. I won't name it just in case, you know. (laughs) Um, I was in a supermarket and I was um, just walking down the aisle and I can always tell when this, when a child is interested, shall yeah. we say, when Preferable. they're kind of a bit curious. Because yeah. in my peripheral, I can yeah. see kind of yeah, this child kind of just looking and looking, kind of going, 
you're older. I don't quite get it. You know, there's there's something yeah. about it. You're, you're, and they just, it's curiosity, basically. The best one I love is then when they, they look at me, they then run to their parent, who's like, you know, a couple <laughs> of metres away, and go, look, mummy, that lady's really small. And yeah. the parent, you can just see this parent oh, shrinking yeah. and going, I don't know what to do. You know, and I kind of I do at that point kind of go, it's fine. You know, yeah. don't don't worry type thing. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want this parent kind of, you know, going. Mm. But yeah, so I think certainly, you know, growing up, it was absolutely. Yeah. People would ask me about it. Yeah. People would comment on it. People would, you know, and it's less so now as an adult. It's mostly children. That's good. And Natasha, what about you growing up? So how was that for you? So I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my uh, early 30s I think wow. so but it's interesting because so they call fibromyalgia a bit of a, a syndrome of condition so you, there are all these different things that are sort of happening with you and those things were happening with me when I was a child like I won't talk about poo and stuff but I always had really big problems with my bowels yeah. and so I very often had to go to a hospital to get endoscopy done because they just didn't know what was going on with yeah. me and so as I got older it almost was like one thing and then another and then this and then that and then when I was diagnosed and I told my mum and dad and and we sort of googled it we were like well hey tick 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 you've got all these things that you've sort of been building on over your over your lifetime up till now and for me it was just nice to have a name because I didn't know what was wrong with me yeah yeah and if you've got a name then at least there might be some research and some treatment and then you feel you can move forward with it. Otherwise, you just hang in limbo. Well, you don't feel like you're the only one then, do you? Yeah. You know that you've got a net. It's got a name. You know, yeah. There's got to be the 7 billion people on the planet. There's got to be someone else yeah. out there that feels the way that I do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can I ask you, Natasha, once you were given the diagnosis, has, has work had to make adjustments for you to be able to continue working? Yes. And that's all, that's been that has been challenging as in, I mean, I, when I was diagnosed, bizarrely, I worked in the diversity team at British Airways. Yeah. But even there, it was it was a challenge and it's upsetting because, you know, I'd always worked well before, always performed well before. But it just felt like suddenly now I had this diagnosis there was more focus on me and my performance, which was just, it was just not nice. So anyway, I, I, they put me on a, on, a, on a management training program, which was excellent for me. And, and that made me realize actually I needed to get out of that role, got into a different role with a really supportive manager who yeah. trusted me yeah. mm-hmm. and who just said, okay, well, this is your workload. As long as you perform and you deliver, I don't care how you do it. Mm-hmm. And that was just so liberating mm-hmm. because for me, that meant I could be myself. I mean, for you, it's obviously obvious that you have a disability. For me, it's not. I'm very open about it. It's yeah. not a secret. And I think people need to be more open about their disabilities and talk about it because that oh, hopefully that's the only way we're going to create more acceptance and understanding and Brings flexibility. Around, yeah. Doesn't it? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, even now, I mean, I'm still trying to advance my career. I declare it on the on the on the application yeah. form. Obviously, that doesn't go to the recruiter. I I get invited for an interview. I have the interview. I get the job offer. You know, then you have to say, I've got to declare that I've got a disability and I need reasonable adjustments. And and that's when the battle starts half yeah. the time because oh, then it's like, oh okay. And you can almost sort of on the other side of the phone go, oh my god, I've got one of those. Disability is an opportunity to look at things from a different perspective, but you need to be open to that. 
it's walking in someone else's shoes, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's, yeah. it's taking yeah. that chance yeah. to, to actually walk in someone else's shoes for a change. Would you say then it's fair for me to to assume you've been discriminated against because of your disability? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And people have openly well, done that or they've done it, like you've, you said. I don't think it's necessarily maliciously, but I think... It's lack of knowledge and understanding. Like, yeah, lack of knowledge. And even when they're pointed out what the, what the legislation says, which you don't want to have to get to that level. You don't want to have to put the stick behind the door. You want people to make reasonable adjustments because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it helps that person do their job in a way that works for them and, and helps them be themselves. So moving away from, you know, how it's how it's affected you, what, if any... Are there any benefits to your conditions? Yeah. Are there anything, any positives that you thought, actually, that's really unique to just me because of what I've got? So when I was, oh, I don't know what year I was in at school, but basically I was in the sack race. Obviously, being the height I was, I was never very good at sports. You know, I would always be last in most of the races, which was a bit sad. But um, when we had the sack race at school, because obviously, because of my height, you know, my little legs were in there and I could run in the sack. Are we talking oh, like wow. old school Hessian oh, sacks? Yeah, we're talking, yeah. yeah. yeah old yeah. school Hessian okay. sacks, the ones that, that are really kind of smelly. You know, yeah. Those ones, yeah. <laughs> so I'm in this sack. It's about up to probably my waist, yeah. you know, or actually probably higher than that. It's probably up to more like about my shoulders. You know, I'm in this sack and I'm just running my little legs off. And I won, which is very exciting. <laughs> because you didn't have to like jump. You could just yeah, run. Exactly. Brilliant. I was not disqualified because I was in the sack. Yeah. You know, my legs did not come out. Of the sack. It doesn't matter how you get yeah, from yeah. one end to the other. Exactly. Your greatest achievement winning the sack race. Yeah. Good for I'm you. Honest. Good for you. <laughs> because I see it as part of who I am and I see that, you know, I am unique. You know, I'm one in however many, I can't remember the, the kind of the stats on it, but it's, you know, dwarfism is is a rarity mm. you know you will i i meet um you know people rarely who have it really and i just i think i see it as part of me but i see it as such an essential part of me that i wouldn't know how to live without it you yeah. know i wouldn't know how to live in the state i i live in you know i i have to make reasonable not reasonable adjustments but i have to make adjustments for myself you know in terms of um in the cars i drive or in um you know how i do certain physical things yeah. you know i have to make an adjustment because because of the fact i've got shorter arms or yeah. because of the fact i've got shorter legs mm-hmm. you know but i think i just see it as a core part of me i wouldn't yeah. you know i wouldn't want to change it I so guess. obviously we live in a in a world now where there is help out there um is do you get any additional help from the government is that if somebody was listening at home and that thought actually i think i've got a bit of a hidden disability or actually i have a visual disability but they haven't accessed any resources is there any guidance you could give to some listeners that perhaps maybe um they could touch base with you know local authorities or anything like that so from my perspective no but obviously given my job yes i know kind of how you access that type of stuff so for us you know access to work is a key one yeah i've seen throughout the years then provide and funding for people who need say even if it's a particular type of mouse you need even if you know it's that type of a situation and you know with with the equality act every employer has from an employment perspective has an obligation to help and support their staff you know and we do that certainly from here you know and i think so if if anyone feels actually you know I, I think I've got a disability, this would help me, then do, you know, then my my view would be wherever it is you work, talk to someone in your workplace, talk to your HR team, talk yeah. to your line manager, you know. For me, it's more, so I definitely access to work, massively helpful, and I think not enough people know about it. No, but people yeah. really do, are starting to really come to grips with yeah. access yeah. to work, aren't they? So for me, they, they put a whole lot of reasonable adjustments in place here at the Trust and paid for all of it, so it didn't yeah. cost the Trust a penny, which is great. I think 
for people like me you know, me with hidden disabilities, I think there are a lot of charities out there. there are a lot of, um, like for me, Fibromyalgia Association yep. is a really good way of linking up with other people who have the same condition as yeah. you, who understand you, and also a lot of are up to date with our latest research because it's really important for me to manage my condition to stay up to date. So, for example, they now find out, I found out that people with fibromyalgia have very small capillaries. In, they have many more capillaries in their hands and capillaries apparently send pain signals. Yeah. And so that's why that makes me hypersensitive to pain. Yep. So that's something that they wouldn't have known yeah. maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah. So they're finding out more and more. And it, if you can understand why, you've, why it's happening, I think it helps. So I think keep up to date. So thinking about your conditions, and we've talked about work and some personal life, are there other challenges that you've faced over the years? Any really ne- negative ex- experiences you'd be willing to share with us today? Um, I mean, for me, most negative experiences occurred when I was a child, you know, growing up and being different and being called out, if you like, for being different. So I'd walk down the street, you know, and people would shout names at me or people mm. would shout, oh, look at her, you know, all, yeah. all the kids, etc. And I think, you know, when, when you're growing up, that has to impact you. It has to impact your kind of the inner dialogue you have with yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it, it, it did impact me. You know, there were there were times in life when I'd look at myself in the mirror and kind of go, why am I like this? You know, what what happened? Why why did this happen? You know, yeah. why, why can me? I not just be normal, I guess? Yeah. I would say, you know, at that point in time, I had low self-esteem yeah. because my self-talk to myself was not good. You know, I'd limit myself, not, not just in the physical things, but kind of because my self-esteem was impacted, I'd be like, oh, you can't do that, Sarah. You know, just just don't, don't bother putting yourself yeah. forward for that or, um, you know... Um, oh no, that that person won't won't like you doing that, and all all that kind of stuff, and you become a bit of a people pleaser because you because you're looking for affirmation yeah. from people. You know, I went on a massive journey with it for years, and I'd say, hmm, probably in my twenties is when I really kind of got to a place where I actually truly accepted myself and yeah. actually went, you know what, dwarfism is a part of who you are, yeah. there, and you know what, I wouldn't actually change it because you have obviously had that point where you've turn to the corner effects because mm. you're in a very high yeah, profile yeah. role here at the trust you know and you <laughs> and you have yeah, got you know you're up as the as the you know up there in the in with the band eight club as i like to call them so you've obviously had a that point where you've stopped loathing yourself and got to the point where you're like i yeah. can do this yeah absolutely yeah i think there were several things along the way really like one of them was when i decided to apply for the nhs graduate management training program i was like yeah let's do this you know and then you kind of you get a little bit more confident in yourself and before i came here or actually two jobs before here i was kind of in more of a hr management type role and i was like yeah that's it you've hit your glass ceiling sarah you know you're you're here you're done type thing and then kind of went on another inner journey we'll call it um, love and a actually journey. went, oh yeah, I love a journey. And, um, <laughs> you know, went on another inner journey and went, no, Sarah, you, oh, I nearly swore then, you can do this, you know, you actually, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that was really when, you know, kind of, I guess, true self-belief kind of kicked in and I went, yeah, you know, let's do this, let's go for it. And then here I am today. Can I ask if you could go back mm-hmm. and say, I don't know, you were 12 years old at the time mm-hmm. and you could give yourself advice, what would that be? I think I'd say to myself, just stick with it and just believe in yourself because I wouldn't want to change any of my experiences. I wouldn't want to, because I know that that type of stuff has made me the person I am today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'd, so I'd just say, you know, just hang in there basically and just trust in yourself more probably, you know, trust, trust and believe in yourself that, 
and that your stature that your height isn't the be all and end all of life that yeah. your personality and your kind of um your abilities and your skills and kind of your care for people i guess is yeah. what it's about isn't it yeah, you know, yeah it's not it about yeah what you look like it's about what's going on on the inside yeah absolutely completely and natasha have you had any very negative experiences you'd be willing to share with uh, us i think it's just um from a personal perspective i look at myself in the mirror and i think why are you size the size that you are when i look at pictures of when I was younger and I was really slim you know I used to look lovely in my BA uniform (laughs) now I just wouldn't fit into it anymore and obviously for me you know and I don't know if it's the same issue for you but having relationships now is just it's just not worth it it's really sad but I've come to terms with the fact that I'll probably be single for the rest of my life because most people look at me and they think oh well she's she's got stuff wrong with her and 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 it's almost like a damaged good so that's how I feel so I'm not looking for relationships I've got a lovely dog and sorry tears (laughs) um so for me that's yeah that's I mean I was married before um but for me I couldn't I couldn't give someone that the expectations that they would have in a relationship anymore so it's just not worth it but you know I've come to terms with that and that's fine but you never know because there are seven billion people in the world and it only takes one person to fall in love with you (laughs) and that's all you need yeah but equally I'm also quite happy to be on my own and there's benefits to that too but for me just hit the microphone it's all right um for me I have gone through a little bit what you've been through as well, Sarah, in terms of you have to, and I see it with other people who are diagnosed, and I think referring to the, you go through a kind of a grieving phase, so when you're, when you're diagnosed, and when you sort of have to face the fact you've got a disability, whether it's through an accident, or, you know, I think it, you, as you got a bit older, and more aware, you go through a, a sort of a, a grieving curve where you you deny it and then you rebel against it mm. yeah and then you sort Full of get cycle. St- stuck in it yeah you go through the change cycle and ev- eventually you'll crawl out the other hopefully the other end and some people takes longer than others and if I see other people and I can see they're stuck I just try and help them because I've been there yeah, yeah. and so for me I, I can see what you're where you are and and you, but you have to work through it yourself so for me, if I look back when I was a child, what would I tell myself is just be strong, you know, yeah. just be strong and don't take any any, any crap from anyone. One of the key things for me is just thinking about what Natasha was saying, you know, it's about looking for acceptance of yourself in yeah. terms of whatever it is you look like or whatever it is you've got going on with yourself. Because if you look for acceptance in other people, that's when you get hurt. Like yeah. if you yeah. put your self-esteem in other people, whereas if you're kind of content with yourself inside and go, you know what, I can do things, I am a nice person, all that kind of stuff. If your self-talk's good, yeah. then you're going to have a more positive kind of outlook on things and you will get hurt less as well. Can I say I think you're both incredible people? Thank mm. you. I really do. And I'm so thankful for you being so open and honest. Okay, final question. Lots of cakes in front of you there. Don't have to choose that flavour, but what is your favourite flavour of cake? Well, you've actually made my favourite flavour of cake, which is quite good. And you've even put mini eggs on the top of it, which is like a definite Brucey bonus. So my favourite flavour of cake is chocolate. 
with um, a good chocolate kind of fudge going on there and the mini eggs. Sorted, Jane. I I'm mean, on, I'm there. she's excelled herself today, I will you say. Are. Yeah. <laughs> Natasha, what's your favourite cake? Um, whilst they're um, the most delicious cakes here, um, my favourite is either coffee and walnut yeah. or Dutch apple pie. Oh, nice. Oh, Dutch, Dutch apple, apple pie. We'll have to do that one next time. Noted for next time, for sure. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for coming on today. We really do appreciate having these valuable conversations with you. Uh, it's been great to see you both. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Cake. And a massive thank you to all our guests for taking the time out to record. Yeah, we really do appreciate you coming on and having these important conversations with us. And if you'd like to listen to another episode, they are all available for you now, wherever you get your podcasts from. Well then, Jane, fancy a slice? How are you?